All right, I think we can all agree that every new investor struggles with the same issues. One of those issues is finding motivated sellers. Yes, this is probably the number one problem that I hear. Dave, how do I locate motivated sellers so I can wholesale properties for huge profits? Well, not to worry. One of my favorite ways to locate motivated sellers is by driving for dollars. When I drive for dollars, and I do it several times a week, I like using the Deal Machine app. Why? Because it's my favorite app and it makes driving for dollars super easy and fun. How does it work, you're probably asking. Well, as you're driving around looking for properties that are distressed, like for example, tall grass, broken or boarded up windows in need of major landscaping, broken down cars in the driveway, tarps on the roof, or just roofs that look really old, gutters falling off, paint chipping away, or peeling, or anything else that would lead you to believe that the house or the seller is distressed. This app helps you keep track of the addresses so you can plot several of these properties from your phone all while driving. Furthermore, this app has the ability to send direct mail to these property owners, and you can even skip trace these owners in real time and call and text them while you are in front of their property. I absolutely love this app, and I use it several times a week. Check it out for yourself. Go to Deal Machine in the App Store and download it. They offer a 14-day free trial, but don't forget to use the promo code DPI, and you will get up to $40 worth of free script tracing and mail credits. Again, use promo code DPI and go download this today. You will not regret it. I absolutely love it. Welcome back to season two of the Discount Property Investor Podcast. Our mission is to share with you what we have learned from our experience and the experience of others to help you make more money investing like a pro. We want to teach you how to create wealth by investing in real estate the Discount Property Investor way. Make sure you never miss an episode and download the Discount Property Investor app in Google Play or iTunes today. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, visit freewholesalecourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys, welcome back to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. I am your host, David Dodge, and today I am joined with a special guest. This is a gentleman that I have been following on social media for several months now. I have also been following several of his partners and business associates, and I am honored to have him on the show today. Please welcome Lee Carney. Lee, how you doing, buddy? Good, David. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for coming on. So a quick little introduction about Lee is that he is the CEO of Real Advisors, and I've been following Real Advisors. They have um, a couple subsidiaries, or maybe you can correct me, but they essentially publish um, a, couple, a couple businesses that they have. So they have Real Empire. They have the Commercial Empire. And I just interviewed, uh, what's his name? Help me out, Lee. Tim Broths. Tim. I just interviewed Tim like last week. Rothstein. And I know Raphael from a mastermind that I'm in, um, in Tulum once a year. We're meeting in February, actually. So I know Raphael. Oh. And is it, is it Javier? Yeah, Raphael and Javier. Javier is his CEO now. 
Yeah. Yep. From Real Empire and then Commercial Empire. And then you run Real Mogul as well too, right? That's you Correct. specifically? That's me. That's my brand specifically. Yeah. And they all fall under the umbrella of Real Advisors. So we're, we're super proud of what we do because we're operators teaching real information, real strategies that are working in you know 2019, which is the time of this recording, instead of stuff that actually if you take two years ago, the stuff that worked two years ago is not working today. The market's shifting. We got things like iBuyers that have come into the market. We've got now the market approaching peak most primary markets. So even despite the iBuyers, you've got a market condition that really lends itself to wholesaling. And you and I, before the show, were talking about that. So we're highly dialed in on where do you buy properties and what do you do with those properties? So it's, it's important. If you don't understand that, you're going to be dead in the water. It's a very, 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 very um, cutthroat game right now. You've got to be a perfectionist as acquisitions. If you're not perfectionist as acquisitions, you're dead in the water because it doesn't matter if you're the best rehabber in the world. It doesn't matter if you got the best buyers list. All that stuff is nonsense. If you don't know how to actually get properties at a discount today, the dispo is easy. I buyers for me is just icing on the cake. It's a buyer that'll pay more money than my regular buyers list and their cash. So again, if I don't have anything to sell them though, I'm dead in the water. So we're highly, highly, highly focused on acquisitions, teaching acquisitions, how you use today's technology so you can actually push out to a lot of people, a lot of distressed sellers instead of one by one going through a lead. So technology again has helped us, but if you don't know who to target, you're dead in the water. So it's dead in the water. acquisitions. So before we started the show, guys, me and Lee were introducing ourselves to each other because this is the first time I was able to or have met Lee. So I'm again, I'm, I'm grateful for his time today and I'm honored to have him on the show. Um, but we were talking about, you know, the Discount Property Investor Podcast. What do we stand for? And it's very simple. We stand for buying properties at a discount. That's it. It's very simple. So we like to push people <laughs> to uh, learn yeah. how to wholesale. And yeah. if you don't want to be a wholesaler, that's okay. However, you need to learn how to market like a wholesaler because you make your money when you buy, no matter what. You get paid when you sell, those are two different things, but you always are gonna be making your money when you buy. And if you buy it right, hence discount property investor, buy it at a damn discount here, guys. If you buy it at a discount, then you have several options for your exit. You can wholesale it if you want. If you don't wanna be a wholesaler, you can fix and flip it. You can keep it as a rental. You can do lots of different things. Lease option, owner financing, whatever it might be, whatever floats your boat, but you gotta buy at a discount. So I think that me and Lee really, really align, you know, quite 100%. well, our messages with, you know, you gotta buy at a discount. Acquisitions is the most important thing. And then That's you had it. mentioned these companies that are coming in that are buying, like the big, you know, these big conglomerates, billion dollar companies that are buying, they Open don't scare door. me either. Those are buyers for me now too. So, OfferPad, exactly. I love it. So Lee, again, thanks for coming on the show. Um, I'm going to turn it over to you just for a couple minutes. Sure. Um, I want you to kind of just give me a quick introduction of, you know, what you are doing these days. And also with that being said though, too, how'd you get started and when? Sure. Well, that, that's a loaded question. That's not a quick it is. answer. It's like three so questions, I'll, I'll really. Try to, <laughs> I'll try to blast through it. So I started cool. rehab, retailing, uh, sorry, investing in real estate 16 years ago by accident. I bought a penthouse condo back in Ireland, got broken into right after moving into it, Ooh. decided to sell it, made more money on that condo than I did in my job. 
So I'm looking at the $30,000 job ish plus commission I had the 35,000 ish I'd made on the condo. I said, this is nonsense. I can, if I can do this over and over again, I can make way more money than working the job. So that's when the light bulb went off for me. I so I actually sought out someone to teach me this business in California when I moved back to California. So I'd lived in Tampa, moved back to Ireland, hated it, moved to California, found someone I, I was going to church with. He showed me how to rehab houses. I followed him around, helped him pick up materials, just whatever he needed. And he showed me buy in this area, buy at this price, do this kind of rehab. So I didn't jump in at wholesaling. I had someone though really get granular on exactly what to do. So I took his instruction. It took me four months to find one house. It was a probate deal and went on the market day one. I bought it day two, was able to line up hard money and I had some cash of my own. So between my cash and that hard money private loan, I was able to purchase the house. I dispoed it in three months and made about 30, 35,000 in that too. So I'm, I'm thinking that I'm two for two, life's good. So I yeah, take on and my- You're making it basically what you were making at your job Right. On one flip on each of them. Right. So, you know, so, one three to four month periods, what, what would have been a whole year? That's huge money. And, you know, that's even huge. today, 2019, making 30, 40 grand is incredible. You know, I always use the example of a guy working at a gas station. How many candy bars or sodas you got to sell to make 30 or 40 grand in revenue? A lot. That's oh. going to be 20, 30,000 units they've got to sell just to make the same amount that we can turn on a switch and flip one house. In fact, with how hot wholesaling is right now, I see wholesalers making 30, 40, 50 grand. It wasn't that way 10 years ago, but because you've got buyers paying such premiums because they want to deploy capital, that's a huge opportunity. You don't even have to get a great deal. You just get an okay deal and you can make a lot of money. But just like you said, for me, that's icing on the cake. I don't want to run a business where I'm buying okay deals. I want to always buy at a discount. So if those buyers get out of the market, I've got a sustainable model where I can sell to a rehabber, I can sell to a landlord, I can sell to a, basically a traditional wholesale buyer because I've seen it and you've seen it too. There's all these fads in real estate that come and go. And yes, it's good to, to move your business today and take advantage of that opportunity, but I don't wanna build a long-term business based on just what's working today. So going back to 2004, purchased my second purposeful home, but it was my third house out of all the houses I purchased and decided to rehab that house, moved back to Tampa, made my second and third mistake, actually my first and second mistake on that house. I had a friend do it and I tried to rehab it remotely. Complete disaster, somehow got out the door, made low teens on that property, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14,000, something like that. But the market in California, trustee state, which is not a judicial state, which means they can take the house a lot quicker when you default. I could see the market already starting to slip in 2005. So move back to Tampa, Florida, asked a bunch of questions. And what I'd say to you and everybody else out there, there is no dumb question you don't know. And you've heard all sorts of different phrases like the dumbest questions, the one you don't ask, and probably 20 different versions of that. I just asked a lot of questions. I just didn't know. What is a foreclosure? What is a foreclosure auction? Where are these auctions? The courthouse steps, what room? Where do I go? Do I just stand on the courthouse steps? I mean, I'm, I'm getting really detailed in asking these questions. Right. So finally, had a friend's father, who did foreclosures said, hey, come down to the courthouse, go to this room. And I stood in this room and this bunch of numbers being auctioned off. So I had no idea. So I started to track what people were doing. They were bidding and they were all looking at each other and winking and nodding and finally realized there was a lady selling a book that turned the numbers into addresses. And the rest is history, by the way, for the next two years. So I drove the properties in the morning, 
I'd go to the Hillsborough County auction, buy houses in the afternoon, and between credit cards and hard money loans and lines of credit from Bank of America, they're throwing money at people. I was able to bootstrap a several million dollar operation in two years. So fast forward to 2007, lost everything. I was over leveraged, had rentals that weren't cash flowing. The market flipped on a dime. And literally overnight, I went from 2 million positive to 2 million negative. I was done, out of business overnight. So I had overnight. to reinvent. Isn't overnight. that crazy? Yeah, just like that. Overnight, man. Like that. Wow. I mean, the market in Florida just went, took a nosedive. I mean, just it was done. You couldn't sell anything. Nothing was moving. It was just done. And I realized a couple key things, which I want to share with everybody. The reason being, it's eerily reminiscent of what happened 12 years ago. What's happening today in today's market, property stopped selling, price reduction, price reduction. I mean, I've seen this all before. You know, people just chasing properties that make no sense, you know, getting creative. Whenever someone says, I've got a creative way to, to, to dispo this property or a creative strategy, and they ignore what you mentioned, which is equity and getting a property discount, I'm not interested in doing creative strategies with properties with no equity. I think it's dumb. In fact, you interviewed Tim last week, Tim Brotz. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if it's commercial. I, I know the number one thing he preaches, buy at a discount, buy wholesale, buy wholesale. Because whether it's a $10 million deal or a $10,000 house, if you're not buying at a discount, you got nowhere to go. You can't put the rest of the pieces of the puzzle together and have a deal that makes sense and it's not going to land you in, a, in an upside yeah. down Yeah, so sheet. on that topic, Lee, I got a couple friends, not, not many, a couple, but they're like, if they can find a deal subject to with, with no equity, they're all over it. And it just, it's mind boggling to me. Like, I agree. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you can take over the payments. And, you know, maybe make a little cash flow or a lot of these guys are doing like uh, subject to on the, on the acquisition and then lease option on the, on the exit, but there's no equity to begin with. So like you're either banking on the cash flow or you're banking on the appreciation only. And if the market were to even take a 10% dip, yep. like you're screwed. So I never got into that. I like equity. I like to buy at a discount. So if the market did fall 20, 30%, at least my investment is worth what I paid for it. Correct. I mean, it would literally have to decrease over 20, 25% for me to have start seeing, you know, some, some properties where I'd have a little negative equity, but I don't buy anything over 80%. Typically I shoot for 65 to 70% mm -hmm. on the properties. Um, so yeah, totally agree, man. I, I think it's uh I think it's kind of crazy when people, you know, don't have the mindset that they need to buy it at a discount. They're like, oh, well, I can get into this for nothing. Well, that's fine today, but there's a lot of risk out there, you know, and you're, I don't think people are really thinking, thinking this all the way through. Well, I agree. They're looking at the cash squeeze between what they paid the seller and what they collected on the lease option. The problem with that is ultimately the chickens come home to roost. Uh, if you've got an angry buyer that you sold a property to and there's no equity, I've seen some of these bigger operations that are put together with no equity fall apart very quickly and even become under legal scrutiny because they're just collecting cash where there's really no cash to be had. And so I, I always want to go back to fundamentals in real estate. I think you're right. And some of those properties I gave back in 2007 were subject to properties with no equity, negative cash flow. I wasn't calling you out, bro. I swear. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. I, I learned that lesson because right. I was creative. And yes, I'd collected $10,000, $20,000. I even got in legal disputes where they said they would equitable interest and they weren't a tenant. Even though I hadn't deeded them the property, they'd give me a large chunk of money. 
And I had the courts like really come down on me for, you know, collecting that payment. And then I had to default on the mortgage and then I couldn't collect from them. And a lot of people get themselves in trouble where they put themselves in the middle of a deal where you're collecting the money, but you're not paying the money. And I would just caution everyone out there. That's the litmus test. If you find yourself in a situation, no matter what state you're in, where you're taking money from one person, but you're not paying the underlying mortgage, whatever, whether it's a seller or a bank, that's a good way to land yourself front and center of an investigation. So just there's a, you don't have to deal with a lot of this stuff though. If you've got equity and real equity in a property, you don't. Yeah, that covers your basis right there. And that's the yeah. simplest thing, guys. Just make sure you buy at a discount, period. I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to. So Lee, I love it, man. Our thoughts align perfectly. So you yeah. tell us a little bit about how you got started in real estate. I'm sure. looking over the, um, the one page sheet that you had sent over with your bio. And it says here that you had bought and sold 7,000 properties. Is that, am I reading that right? You're reading that right. Yeah. Holy cow, man. I've, I've done about 400 transactions <laughs> in the last four years and I'm yeah. thinking I'm doing pretty well. You are 7, doing well. 7,000. Holy smokes. Yep. That's a ton of deals, man. Yeah. 2013, our record year was 2,500 plus transactions. Wow. So yeah. you guys got to be buying packages, right? Or no? No, we actually, that was crazy. We did, that. there were individual deals in 2013. Holy, I mean, you got a team of 40 people or what? Uh, that was about almost 40 people. We, okay. I remember one month we did just on the buy side, it was 100 and, 150, 160 transactions, maybe a little bit more than that, just on the buy side. Man, I've you interviewed know, a lot of people. I don't think I've ever heard anything like that. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're crushing it. Some, <laughs> yeah, there were some days we were buying wow. 10 and 20 homes. Yeah, 10 and 20 homes in one day. You want to talk about how that you want to talk about flexing your systems and processes. You got to have a production line set up with money, with a team. I mean, we had lock change teams that would just change locks and take pictures. And there were several of them. I mean, just that's, that's how specialized the roles got in my company. But as the market's tapering out and I see that prices are not shooting up and People always ask me, how do you know this? Like it's some magical answer. Like type in Google, go to Tampa Market Zillow, and then click on the graph. And actually what you'll see is that the market has gone up. It actually took a dip when they tried to raise the rates at the end of 2018. And then when they started lowering them, it's, it's taken off a little bit again. But, but it's flattening out. Yeah. The shot across the bow in most major markets. And I, I did the same thing I was teaching last week. I said, let's take Las Vegas. Same exact graph. We picked another market, I think it was Miami, same exact graph. I say these are, they call them bellwether markets. So Tampa is considered a bellwether market of how, how the real estate market's doing here in this country. Miami is too, by the way. Vegas is another one. So you look at these bellwether markets, you're seeing that there, there's been a, the first shot across the bow in the last seven years has been 2018 when the Fez raised the rates immediately tanked the market. And that's where like, oh crap. And then they started lowering them again. But don't take my word for it. Go Google that. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And so that tells me that we're in, you know, if you want to use a baseball analogy, we're eighth or ninth inning, whatever you want to call it, maybe the seventh inning in some markets. There's not a lot to go. The only tool left in the Fed's tool belt is to keep lowering rates, to keep stuff affordable. That means the equity component that we're talking about is highly at risk. And I see things yeah. in most primary markets 
flipping the other way. So the Fed funds rates as of this episode, today's Wednesday, November 20th, 2019, guys. So again, I don't know when you're going to listen to this. Could be five years from now. But as of today, it looks like the Fed fund rate is 1.75. Yep. A month yep. ago, it was two. Yep. And a year ago, it was two and a quarter. Yep. Bingo. So, yeah. I mean, how, how much lower can they go? I mean, can, can they go to zero? Will they go to zero? You know, it doesn't, it seems like when they, when they raise the rates, like you said, we, we start seeing the decreases. So, you the know, graph shows. yeah, graph exactly. Shows. So can they keep dropping? And, and if so, for how long? I mean, I know that there is certain parts on the, in the globe right now where there's negative interest rates. I think, yep. don't quote me, I think Norway or Denmark, we Denmark, that's it. Denmark. I was, I knew it was up there somewhere, right? They're getting negative, re, re, negative rates of return on their yeah. mortgages, right? Yeah. Which is just crazy. Like you get yeah. paid to own a property. Yeah. I don't think we'll get to that point. But either way, I, I'm, not, I'm agreeing with you is my point here. Yeah, you know, well, it, actually. It's, it's pretty I, crazy how, you know, how, how this is working out. It's, it's well, now that you're talking about the Fed funds rate, if you go back to 2008, uh, under Obama, that was put down to 0.25%. So you say it's at 1.75%. That rate was at 0.25. And that was what, 28, 20, or 2008, 2009? 2008. And I'll give you another yeah. fun fact. That Wait, you what was it at? Point what? 0.25. So a quarter of a point. You, you want to know another fun fact? What's that? It, it sat for seven years at 0.25%. Seven the years Fed funds rate has not been raised until 2015. They progressively raised it up. And they stopped in 2018. When and that was the realized, quantitative easing, right? For the most part. Yep. Yep. And what they realized is that they were, they, they immediately tanked the market with that last rate. Every major market took a dip with that last quarter point raise in 2018. And you're absolutely correct. 2.25, 2%, now 1.75. So I guess to answer your question, history would say that 0.25% is doable. So, but for me though, that doesn't answer the question of equity. No, means, I'm with you. It just keeps liquidity in the market. And to me, liquidity and equity are completely different. And right now, a lot of major markets, my humble opinion, you've got a market value that far exceeds the intrinsic value of the asset. That's a big problem for me because ultimately when real estate's not hot, it goes back to fundamentals and that intrinsic value really comes into play. People say, well, the market's great. I mean, the market doesn't say, hey, I'm gonna be down 30% two years from now and make, and a news announcement for everybody to see. It's when things are hot, it's exactly what I saw in 2007, just stopped. Now, what I will say, which is really interesting, the stock market's still doing gangbusters. In fact, let me look at- Oh my right goodness, here. man, it, right is, it now, is gangbusters. As we're talking right now, it's, it's still almost at 28,000. So the two things, I'm actually doing a, an auction.com interview at, right after this. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they're going to be interviewing me on is right now in most major markets, third party bidders at foreclosure auctions are down. And my point, which I'm going to give you a sneak preview on this, is that the two measurements of both real estate and economy are people trading with real dollars. For me, I look at the stock market because that's people trading with real dollars every day. And you'll see that the stock market starts to go down before it hits the news that there's an economic problem, you start to see people losing their jobs. It's people parting with real cash. In real estate, the front line of investors parting with real cash, because we're talking cash auctions, no inspections, no garbage, 
no listing on the MLS, no agents is a foreclosure option. So that should send the shot across the bow to everybody listening to this. Third party sales are down. Savvy investors are realizing that there's a change coming. And that's why they're interviewing me today because they say, well, is there a connection between a bellwether market like Tampa and third? Yes, of course there's a connection. People parting with real cash are going, I've made millions of dollars. I might want to keep some of those dollars in cash because I sense a market risk. And the reason they're sensing a market risk, they're, they're flipping these houses. They see their houses sitting on the market longer, which means how likely if you keep having inventory rising, days on market rising, keep having the lower prices, how bullish are you on parting with real cash? Not as bullish. And we're seeing that in markets like Tampa and seeing in Miami. And another fun fact, I've sat on the sidelines now for two years of foreclosure options. I saw this trend coming two years ago and I'm, I want to keep my cash for when stuff's a bargain again. Not when people are paying top dollar. People who say you win an auction. Did you really win if you overpaid? Maybe you're just the dumbest buyer. You, you won the bid. That doesn't mean you're a winner. So I'm seeing this firsthand, but I really caution everybody. I like looking at the stock market. I like looking at foreclosure auctions because it's the front line of real people with real cash trading. And that's what, that's what you're seeing with both of those. That's a great point. I never looked, I never looked at it that way before, but I love that analogy though. I mean, that's, it's, it's so true though. That is the front line. It's people that have real cash. They're buying these properties sometimes sight unseen yep. or a lot of times without even getting inside, maybe they'll drive by or whatever, but yeah, that's a great point. And it's, it's, yeah, it's slowing. I can tell you that. Yep. In my market, especially. Yeah, it's funny. Absolutely. I go to CNBC.com and the first thing that pops up is Fed meeting minutes may give clues about when the central bank will act on rates again. And yeah. of course, the stock market said 27.8 or the yeah. Dow Jones. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> come on, guys. Yeah. This is just, this is nuts. Well, the bubble's uh, about to burst. I mean, I pulled off just, I guess, to be kind of doomsday. I've sold all my rentals minus five. I had over 300 personally. So about 25, 30 million in rentals. Actually, it was a, today's market value would be about 35 or 40 million, but I dispoed them all from about 25 million to 30 because I didn't, my mentor told me this, which I'll share with you. He said, it's not important to call the bottom of the market. It's important to call the top. So taking that advice into account, I dispoed over the last two years and I feel very comfortable that I've taken these properties out at a value that makes sense as far as selling them. And I'm very confident with certain asset classes, especially where there's high concentration of FHA buyers. And don't take my word for it. What you'll hear is not an opinion for me that's not backed up by solid statistics. You look at FHA default rates, about nine to 12% compared to conventional defaults, which are in the two or 3% range. So my acquisition strategy for next market cycle is targeting FHA concentrated areas where FHA buyers bought at the top of the market, I know there's going to be a lot of defaults, which means there's going to be a lot of distressed inventory. And so we're really dialed in. We're ready with a front loader of cash for next market cycle. And I plan personally on buying thousands of homes once the market does crash. I really, I stand behind that statement and people say, well, it hasn't crashed yet. It hasn't crashed yet. We've got a couple interesting things going on politically. You know, we got a president who's highly motivated, uh, the, inc the incumbent president to make sure he gets reelected. A terrible economy is a number one sure shot way of not getting reelected. So I think that the, the <laughs> yeah. 10, yeah, I mean, it's true. People vote with their wallets. As, as of this, as of right now, while we are recording, you and me are doing this, but they're doing impeachment, try, uh, impeachment hearings 
up in Washington as we speak. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. just, it's crazy. Yeah, it is, it is crazy. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that because of the fact that we're one year away from reelection, all other things being equal, I would say that there's a decent chance we can keep this party going. You got to remember the feds have got lots of tools in their tool belt. They can put money into the market so they can increase the supply, which also produces liquidity for lenders. So they can just buy out the lender's position, put real cash into the market. That's one tool. The other tool is that they can raise the reserve rate or lower it. So they can tell banks how bullish they want them to be with their lending. Yeah, that's a good and point. Then, and then the other faucet how, they have. Let me ask you this, Lee. I don't know a whole lot about that. You're the, you're the expert on this, obviously, here. How often do they even, uh, does, does the reserve rate change? The reserve rate does not change as often, but it is a tool that they have. But it have. is a tool. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Because if they tell the banks, we need you to keep more money in reserve, that shuts off lending. Right yeah, and, and or anybody that has a zix, existing lines of credit, they get killed. Yep. They, they exactly got right. to short those lines down or even remove them completely. I mean, the amount of credit they're offering has to shrink if they're shrinking that rate. So, I, yeah, wow, crazy. Uh, and actually, just to, while we're talking about economics, there's several things I look at. I look at the manufacturing index. Why do I look at the manufacturing index? That's, a, that's another frontline indicator. That's a bellwether indicator of an of a, economy. The reason being, if you think manufacturing starts to slip because people stop spending, you can see it right at the manufacturing level. And right now, don't take my word for it. Look at the manufacturing index. You'll see it sliding to a very critical level. People want to point to one statistic like unemployment, say, well, everything's great because unemployment's low. I look at the manufacturing index and I see a crack in the armor. I look at consumer confidence. You'll see that it's starting to slip because the economy is driven by one thing. It's spending. That's it. So see, yeah, when people are confident, so true, man. they spend. So true. And when people yeah. are not confident, they stop spending, whether it's an investor or a consumer. It doesn't matter. People stop spending like at the foreclosure auction. They stop buying stocks because they feel the market's overinflated. What's happening is everyone's chasing a place to put their money. And the reality is there's no free lunch, whether it's the stock market, the real estate market. People just feel like, I, I love it when I see, I discovered self-storage. I'm like, no, you didn't. Self-storage has been around, and I understand it's hot right now, but there is no free lunch. Self-storage trades at a certain rate because when you compare it to multifamily, commercial, single-family, A-class, B, C, D, everything's priced accordingly of what, it, what its intrinsic value is. There is no free lunch. At the end of the day, if an investor has a dollar to spend, they have all these different options, which means prices meet at a point where buyers and sellers meet and there's a price that makes everybody that makes economic sense. Now we're actually the other way right now with an oversupply in single family, same thing in multifamily, by the way, too. So cap rates are going down. Now I would say that the market value is far exceeding that intrinsic value, but going back to economic uh, measurements, uh, manufacturing index, consumer confidence, I look at all these things, foreclosure freight rates, defaults, even before foreclosures, where, which states are having the highest defaults? You'll notice on the West Coast and the East Coast, defaults are going up. That's, that's a precursor to foreclosures. And in California, it's actually a very, very good measurement of what's happening six months from now. You get a trustee state where there's no judge, you stop paying today in six months or less, more like 90 to 120 days, your house is gone. So I see big changes coming and people think that I'm doomsday but I'm not. I'm just looking at the statistics and making decisions based on lots of I don't of think numbers. you are, Lee. I don't think so at all. I think you're being really smart. 
and you're and, and conservative about it. So I, as of today, I got 55 rentals. And just just the last couple of days, my partners and I have been saying, maybe we should sell a couple of these off. Um, I wouldn't say we're over leveraged. Everything we bought has been at a discount. Yep. However, we do have a lot of debt out there and our cash reserves are decent, but they could be a whole hell of a lot better if we sold off some of those properties just to prepare for what you were talking about right now. Yep. Knowing that you know everything happens in cycles. Yep. So by us sitting here today saying, you know, there's going to be a dip isn't us being pessimistic at all. This is facts. You know, you're going to have cycles. You're going to have good times. You're going to have bad times. We've been in a good time for a long period now. Agreed. It's inevitable that we're going to go into a time that's not so good. And who's to say if that's going to be six months or six years from now, I'm leaning towards, you know, one to two years. Who knows? Right. But yeah, we were just having this exact conversation yesterday and even this morning, actually talking about, Hey, you know, we got quite a bit of equity in about 30 of these. Maybe we should start selling a couple of these off and start stockpiling some cash um, just so we can get prepared. And I, yep. I, I love it, man. I think we're yep. on the exact same page. Yep. I mean, cool. especially if, if statistics are pointing to our, towards you buying the same asset for less money two years from now, why wouldn't you do that? Because you get to take I'll buy every home. rental that I sell right back. Every one of them because we've rehabbed those. And I know the quality of them. Yeah, they may get a little torn up in the year or two or three in the interim, but sure, love it. Yeah, I've, I've bought and sold the same house three times in several instances. That's awesome. So I, I, I know I've seen that factually where yep. I sold the high, I bought on the first dip, went back up a little bit, bought it again, sold it again, went back into foreclosure. Between 2007 and 2012, the market actually took a couple, had a little rocky did. start and didn't yep. really start taking off until 2012. But there was a double V to that economists point to back in that 08 to 2012, sorry, 2007 to 2012. We have not been on an upward trajectory clearly since 2012. That's when things just took off. And now I challenge everybody, look at the major markets, take any market and you'll see that exact dip in October, November of 2018. That's the first shot across the bow where it went from going up to then going down now it's it's not going back up. It's just kind of flat, but slightly up in most right. major markets, and that's purely because of rates. Purely, right? I love it, man. Well, let me ask you a couple questions here. We sure. we broke. We we talked a lot about you know um, about market cycles and the current condition of the market. So I want to thank you for that. You yeah. gave me a lot of insight as yeah. well, and you obviously are an expert on these topics. Um, so when it comes to understanding the real estate market cycles. You know, how do you, how to find opportunities in, in any market? So when the shift is coming, you know, how, how, what's the game plan for you to profit? Just buy low, just start buying sure. all these at the low end of the market. If you consider, if you consider wholesaling using a stock market analogy, you've got long-term traders, midterm traders, and then you've got day traders. If we look at ourselves as wholesalers, here's the great news. You eliminate market risk. In fact, if you do a double close where you sell before you buy, there's zero market risk. All you're doing in that case is day trading real estate. So if everything we talked about, we reasonably believe is true, why wouldn't we want to day trade real estate? Because that eliminates the market risk. Now, if you think about, you got, you got market risk when you take down a rental with debt on it and you have a personal guarantee. That's another form of risk. If you own or finance, you now have the risk of the market because if the market goes down, the buyer's going to default on you. Conversely, if you're buying from someone and they're financing, they bear the risk. In simple terms though, when you wholesale, you're transferring the market risk to your buyer. 
because you're taking your profit home today. Man, I love that. I, I always say whenever you are wholesaling, all you're doing really is providing liquidity to the marketplace. Right. I never thought of it that way, though. You are completely removing all your risk out of that scenario, too. Though. Yeah, in that. today's no market, closing and whatnot. as a wholesaler, you're, you're, trans, you're actually not only collecting a profit today and providing liquidity, you're transferring the market risk to the buyer. And when you own or finance off someone, let's just say I got a seller who wants to give me a 6% loan on a house and I can cash flow and there's no PG, it would be dumb not to do that. But guess what? If, if I paid them $0 and I'm just paying the arbitrage, in that particular case, using the exact same analogy where we transfer the risk to a buyer, you've transferred the risk to the seller. The seller is 100% bearing the risk of the market. Because if you have no skin in the game and the market tanks, it's no harm, no foul. You walk away, the seller's stuck with the asset that's worth less than when they sold it to you. So the, the equation actually works on both sides, which is why option contracts are good. When the I love option risky. contracts, man. I use the hell out of option contracts. Because then you get to leverage, you actually get to hedge against market risk. Because in that particular case, in simple third grade language, you get to walk away from a little dollar instead of a lot of dollars. Right. No, <laughs> absolutely. Things don't work out. And also, if your option's long enough, I would argue you can ride out any market cycle, which means you won't lose any money. And one of my mentors did use that strategy on vacant land. So what happened was when vacant land went down to about 10 cents in the dollar in these not so great areas, he would mm -hmm. approach all the owners and I think 500 bucks, maybe even less, maybe $200. He signed up 10-year option contracts. So he turned that 200 to $500 into several thousand dollars because he just waited till the market picked up to exercise his option. To exercise, right. Man, I love it. Yeah, Lee, I know I you got another interview coming up here, so I don't want to uh, take up too much of your time. But no, before we wrap up here, I want to learn a little bit more about real advisors and then, of course, sure. you know the, 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 the businesses under. Real empire, commercial empire, sure. real mogul. So to tell you a little bit about what I know, I have been following you guys. Um, I've been following you. I've been following Raphael and Javier and then Dolmar. Dolmar is the one I have not met yet. So maybe you can help me connect. Yeah, he's my business partner. I'd love, I'd love to interview him. He seems like a great guy. I love following you guys. Um, and I probably know the most about commercial empire, to be honest, just because I've interviewed Tim most recently. Yeah. But I'd love to learn more just about the, the big picture here. So what is Real Advisors? Sure. So Real Advisors uh, is myself, CEO, got my business partners, Dolmar, Cross, Brian Hansen, uh, Francis Ablola. Francis and Brian come from the marketing side of the business, and they've been in this info space for 10, 15 years. They saw all the good, the bad, the ugly, the things that they didn't like. And then Dolmar also has been involved in that space too, a former real estate investor as well. Mm -hmm. I'd love and to interview him as well, man. Help, so, help me out with that. <laughs> so where we all came together in alignment on this, I was the Ario rock star 10 years ago. Preston Ely created me as that alter ego as he so, uh, he was on Facebook. He said that a couple of days ago. It was funny the way he phrased it. <laughs> but my point is he took what I did buying and selling Arios, turned it into the Ario rock star. But I also got to experience the good, the bad, the ugly. What I didn't like, it was people on stages selling product with no value for customers. In fact, not only were they no value, they didn't work in some cases, and in other cases they were scammed. Like it was completely a fraudulent product that was made up. I hated that, wanted to have nothing to I've been to, to a couple events like that, man. Yeah, it was just, I mean, it was one, I can't mention names for obvious reasons. Oh yeah, I don't, you don't have to, please But don't. there was a luxury house brand with a spin on it that made no sense. And when you got behind the scenes, there was actors involved in this. I was just 
I was blown away. I'm like, how could you take someone's money for something not only that you don't do, but it was made up and it doesn't work. Or it worked at one time and it doesn't anymore, but they're still selling it like it does. No, that's I'm talking opinion. about stuff that was made up that never worked. Okay, just never completely even done. made up. Wow, that's completely made up. Cool. I saw the full gamut of good products, great products, okay products, and stuff that was just made up. So I'm talking wow. about the extreme example of something that was just made up. So I sat on the sideline and I said, well, I have nothing to do with this. Dalmar approached me literally three years ago at this point. Would it be three? Yeah, about three years ago. I said, we want to do a product with you. We want you to teach people. You've been killing it. I said, no. I gave him a hard no. He tracked me down for a year. It took me a year to even want to teach people because I just wanted, I didn't want to be that guy. But then I started teaching people again, realizing how much success they're having. And I said, this is great. I get to own and control the narrative because it's my story, which is real. It's not something that's on a jet I don't own or a car I don't own or standing in front of a house I don't own, all the kind of nonsense you see that's you know, out there. And I got to teach what I actually do in my business. Then we brought on Tim, and Tim and I had several conversations before he came aboard. Are you guys real? And we're like, Tim, are you real? And we realized pretty quickly, I mean, you've interviewed Tim, so I'm preaching to the choir. I'm going to be in Utah actually with him tonight. And so we realized that that was a good fit. So then we launched Commercial Empire, but I was still a brand. About seven months ago, I said, you know what? I like where this company's going. I really feel I like the vision. I'm aligned on teaching real stuff that works, but taught by real operators. Then when Real Empire came on board at the beginning of this year, and the rest has been history. So we've had tremendous growth. We've had really good success with our students and our clients, and it's, it's amazing. So I like being a part of this because everybody's aligned with wanting to teach stuff that works and going back to the lab and doing it. And then the next iteration of what I do in my business or Raphael or Tim, we get to share with our clients and saying, Hey, here's what I changed last week in my business. It's cool. And then you get to tell a thousand people about that and watch them change in their business too. So I really do like this business and we're poised for even bigger growth next year. We don't really have any competition. We're competing against guys that are packaging up the same information 20 different ways, calling it something different, but they're not actually doing the business. Yeah, that's the main thing, man. Doing the business versus just, you know, talking about the business. Like I always tell people all the time that are looking to, to, you know, to hire a mentor. I go, would you rather hire someone that's done 10,000 deals, but hasn't been active for five years or somebody that's done 25 deals, but they did them last week. Bingo. Honestly, I want to talk to the guy that's doing it now. Well, you know, like markets change, business change, you know, all this systems and technology. So yeah, absolutely. The fact that you guys are doing the business and then teaching what you're doing versus just teaching, you know, something that's not necessarily being used in your own businesses has, you know, tells me that you guys have a lot of integrity and I respect the hell out of that. Well, thank you. Thank you. The biggest change, just to give an example of my own business, and I say this to everybody out there who's got a single family business, the biggest game changer this year is that we've gone back to a seller direct model. We were dealing with auctions, MLS, every other source besides buying directly from the seller. I have shifted my business back where my number one source is sellers dealing directly with the seller. That's what we're, that's so if I'm we're doing that, that, that should tell you something. It's because the markets come full cycle. We've gone upstream auctions. If something's on market opportunity has gone. The way to create value and get that equity is finding the most distressed sellers with the most amount of equity and being highly targeted with your marketing. 
not marketing to everybody, most distressed sellers with the most equity and go after them every which way until you find them. Then on top of that, I'll let you in on another secret. It's not about buying houses. We're problem solvers. What we're doing when we find these distressed sellers with lots of equity, you use your two ears, you listen to what their problem is. We just happen to flip a house. That happens to be the widget, but we're not in the business of buying homes because if you gave, if you told the seller, well, I'm going to give you half of what your property is worth, every seller would run away. So that's not the tool in our tool belt. Our tool in our tool belt is to listen to a problem, provide a solution. And then we, the widget we use is the house and that's where we create our money. So I've really trained my team on that, that to treat people well, to listen to people, to understand their problem and to come up with a solution to their problem. And I would say nine out of 10 offers that I make to people don't involve a price. I literally talk about how much money they'll get and how much time they need to move or whatever the problem they need solved. But it's not about price because that's a terrible tool in our tool belt. Hey, I totally agree. Uh, and honestly, I don't even, I don't even ask what they're asked. Like I don't ask an asking price anymore. Reason is, is because what, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe you agree or disagree. So I'm actually curious to hear your input on this. Of course. But one in a hundred times, somebody will say, I need this. And that number, whatever they say is less than what I'm offering. One yep. in a hundred. So yep. 99 times they're asking more than I'm willing to pay. So why even ask? Cause when you ask they're anchoring high. So yep. instead, I always try to anchor low and, and maybe use a spread. Like I can pay between this and this. This is kind of where I'm at, but it all really depends on the condition of the property. But that's kind of irrelevant. Let's talk more about your problem and how we can help address that problem. And it works great. I'll actually give you a different spin on that. Rather than asking people, when they give you that answer, what they're actually telling you is not what they need. They're telling you what they want. They want, so What right. we do is we'll say, I understand you want 50,000. Tell me what you need. Because obviously you've got this distress going on and I, I want to come up with a solution for your problem. So we need to start not with what you want, but what you need. And then you'll get into, well, I don't know where to go. And so our discussion sometimes will be, well, where do you, where do you need to go? How much is an apartment? Well, I'm going to need $5,000 to move. And then I can't move next week because there's a sale next week and I'm going to get kicked out. What if I gave you two months to move and moving expenses and not only do five, we'll do 10. Would that get you what you need? Well, yeah, it would. So if we gave you okay, 60 cool. days Let's and 10 do this grand. Deal. And now there may be 50 grand in equity, but what you've done is taken the conversation about what they want. Again, you're dealing with distressed sellers and you're, you're, you're addressing what they need. And so we always go back to a need with people. And once we were able to phrase that conversation and get the seller to really understand that it's not about what they want because they're not in the driver's seat, they're in a distressed situation for a reason. So because right. they're not in the driver's seat, we need to be realistic in our expectations and approach what they need and try to work a solution around what they need. That's been a very effective tool for us on addressing people's needs. And we consistently buy houses with 10 bullet points that are probably weird to everybody listening to this going, why would you put them in a contract? If they told me they want 10 things, one of the, the things we do as a company, we'll put all 10 things in a contract. So we need a moving truck, we need a mover, we need $2,000 now, $3,000 later, we need 60 days to move. We need to mow the yard to keep code. We'll put all that weird stuff in there. I love that, man. That's cool. That's cool. Because people love Guys, it. Yeah, they people love, love that. Guys, I really want to reiterate what Lee just said. I always try to shoot for at least one or two gold nuggets, and I've gotten several, but this is the one that stands out the most with me so far this episode. And that is that, you know, whenever Lee and his team are talking to sellers, okay, and they tell you, 
what they're asking, that is what they want. So I'm just reiterating. What you need to do, and this is great advice, I'm gonna run with this actually, is ask what they need, okay? Because that is two different things. They're gonna tell you what they want, ask yeah. what they need, and if you wanna list those things, great, if you don't, no problem. However, if you give them what they need, you, you know, at the end of the day, you are solving their problem. And it right. also kind of takes away from, you know, well, maybe I can get more there, more here. You know, you didn't call me because you wanted more money. You called me because you had a problem. Yes. And that's what I'm right. trying to do right now is to solve that problem. So right. regardless of what we end on, what number that might be, did right. I solve your problem? Yes or no? Right. So Thank I just you. really want to reiterate that because I think that is awesome. That is phenomenal. So yeah. that, thank you for sharing that, right? Yeah, there. of course. Yeah, okay, That's so awesome. I'll give you a real life example. The seller did not want any cash at closing. He had a previous bankruptcy, had creditors, was worried that somehow they're going to come after him. I said, what do you need? He goes, I need you to buy my furniture for $50,000. I bought his furniture for $50,000. I did. I literally wrote him a check, took his furniture, and I bought the house, I think for a dollar, paid off his mortgage, and we end up with $200,000 in equity. But you solved his problem because that's what he wanted. If he would have paid more for the house than they would have took it. He didn't want an offer. He said, right. I don't want any money. I said, so let me get, so, and what we do is we use, that's where we do a trial close right on the phone. We'll say, so if I give you $50,000 for your furniture and you get no money on the HUD, you're good. You're good with that. That solves your problem. He said, yes. And we had an electronic contract over in two seconds. I love signed it. it on the phone. Done. Everything that's sweet. He, we didn't say, well, actually, you're leaving $200,000 in equity on the table. Are you sure you want to sell your house? Because if you add 50 in your mortgage balance, you're at 315 and your property's worth 550. Are you sure you want to do that? No. We solved right. this problem. Case yeah, closed. you just, just go for the problem, give them a solution. Done. Guys, that is a huge, huge nugget right there. Solve people's problems, okay? So, you know, our, our mission with this podcast is to teach people to buy at a discount. And if you solve people's problems, you can win-win this scenario. You can solve their problem and you can also get it at a discount. Do not get hung up on the price, okay? Yep. The, if you get into the price, emotions are gonna start flying. People are gonna start you know, wanting to tell you what they want, not what they need. They're, they may even go shop around for multiple offers. If you can get into a mindset of just solving a particular problem, you win, the seller wins, and if you're wholesaling it, the cash buyer typically wins too because you're giving them a good deal. So we always shoot for the triple win. I love yeah, it. That's why you want big equity because equity has money for you, money for the seller, money for your wholesale buyer. There's meat on the bone for everybody. The everybody. problem is when you get no equity, uh, someone's going to lose on that deal. So that's right. why we want big sellers with big problems and big equity. Now we can come in on our white chariot and solve everybody's problem and there's money for everybody. Right. Hey, Lee, tell me a little bit more about Real Mogul. Yeah, Real Mogul is the course I teach. In fact, I'm going to be switching over to a conference call in just one second. But Real Mogul, uh, I teach people how to flip from being a real estate investor to owning a real estate business. So it's real about systems and processes and strategies in real estate. When you look at the whole market, which tool to use at which point in the market cycle. So I teach everything from wholesaling to rehabbing, when to buy rentals, what kind of rentals to buy. And ultimately what we want to do when we create a real estate business is create an active income portion of the business that feeds the passive income form of the business, which then feeds into a tax-free structure that keeps the government away from it. So it's about making it, it's about flipping that into passive and then turning that money into tax-free money 
So you're, you're not paying tax on it for the rest of your life. So it, it, that's the progression of, of a real estate investor. It's understanding that the, you don't want to be on the active hamster wheel for the rest of your life. At some point, you've got to transition into passive income to get yourself off the hamster wheel and have cash flow coming in. Man, I love it. Lee, I want to thank you so incredibly much for coming on the show. Yeah, it, has been, it has been an honor to have you on. Again, I've been following you, so it's great to actually get to meet you. And guys, check out Real Advisors. Check out Real Empire, Commercial Empire, Real Mogul. These are the businesses that are under Real Advisors. Lee, if people have more questions or they want more information about you or any of these businesses, yep. where can we point these people? Because I really know simple. I'm interested personally yes. to learn more too. Yeah, absolutely. Realadvisors.com. That's realadvisors.com. Very simple. Love it. Yeah. Keep it simple, guys. Real yeah. Advisors, R-E-A-L. And guys, I love this. I'm just real quick tangent. I know you got to run, Lee. Real. These guys are real. They're doing the real business and that's what they're teaching. They're not hoaxing people. They're not talking about things that worked six, eight, months or even years ago they're talking about and teaching what they do in their business today and as their businesses change they're changing the way they teach it you can't Bingo. get any better than that so guys realadvisors.com check it out lee thank you for coming on the show it was a pleasure to meet you and i look forward to learning more about real advisors as well on my end. Anything else that you want to add before we close no, out? No, that's it. It's been a great show. Thank you. Great show. All right, guys. That's our episode of the Discount Property Investor. Again, you make your money when you buy. You get paid when you sell. So make sure you are buying at a discount. If you want to learn more about buying at a discount and how, check out my free course at freewholesalecourse.com to learn more about Lee and Real Advisors go to realadvisors.com. You will not be disappointed. I can almost ensure and guarantee that. And that's our episode, guys. Signing off. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe to help us reach a wider audience. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, please visit freewholesalecourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. We would also appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you in advance for your support. And remember, you make your money when you buy and you get paid when you sell. Now let's go build some wealth.